And um, I've got a message today that, that I think is going to be able to move us forward in this series real well. Uh, today was supposed to be the last day of our series called Squad, uh, but because of the strangeness of this last week, um, we're going to go one more week with this series. And then once we're done uh, with this series called Squad, um, I'm really excited to start a new series in two weeks called Human. We're going to be looking at what it means to be human. And I think that this last year we've forgotten that. So we're going to take a look at what it means to be human, and then that will take us right into Easter. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll be giving you uh, Easter plans. Um, we like to do a lot of big stuff for Easter, but COVID just makes that strange. Um, and so as Easter is approaching, I think it's April, the, it's the first Sunday in April. I don't know what date it is. The fourth, I think, is Easter. Um, in years past, we've had really large Easter egg hunts uh, just as a way to celebrate this time of year. Uh, but that is a little strange this time of year. So what we're actually going to do is have a, uh, a downtown Easter egg hunt that's going to be a scavenger hunt. We're partnering with a lot of businesses downtown to do that. So excited uh, to give you some details on that as it comes up. Uh, but we need a lot of eggs. And so if you could start laying um, as soon as you can. Uh, we, know we need a lot of eggs. So plastic eggs is what we need. Um, a lot of times people bring candy. Uh, don't bring candy, just bring eggs. That's all we need. That actual picture is an actual box of 250 eggs that's at Walmart right now. Paula said, show that one because that's what I want. And so if you can buy big containers of eggs, no candy inside, not real eggs, unless you want to like suck out the yolk and the filling and just bring empty shells. No, okay. So plastic eggs. They need to be plastic. Bring eggs. We need eggs. Uh, we'll have bins for eggs next week. And so we need a lot of eggs uh, as we're going to have this, this fun Easter event. Um, something else I want to bring up, uh, I talked about that new series we're starting. This Friday is our first ever uh, young adults event. We've always had young adults Bible studies and young adult groups and things like that. But we're having a young adult event um, called Viewpoint. And that's going to be this Friday at 6 p.m. here at the church. Uh, we're going to have worship music. We're going to have food carts. We're going to have fire pits. If it rains... It will be inside. A lot of it will be. If it doesn't rain, um, bundle up, bring blankets. You say, well, how old do I have to be to be a young adult? Um, sadly, it excludes many of us. But it's, it's 18 to 20-something. So 18 to 20-something. And if you're like, I feel like 20-something, I look like 20-something, don't kid yourself. You don't. You're not. <laughs> Either you're 18 to 20-something or you're not. And so that is for you. Um, we've got uh, Ryan and Kristen Kearney putting that on as our young adults directors, as well as Bridget Freshour, who is our assistant pastor of This Gen Ministries. And so we're experimenting with this event, um, see a huge need for it in our community. So I'm super excited about that. So if that's you, or if you have friends or family in that age group, invite them to that. It'll be a lot of fun. So let's start our series. In the series called Squad, and what we're just looking at is we're looking at how the followers of Jesus laid down the radical differences for the cause of Christ. Um, there were people who were political insurrectionists. There were people who were tax collectors and government sympathizers. There were people who were fishermen who had their entire identity wrapped up in that. There were uh, people who were traitors. Uh, Judas, we talked about two weeks ago, the traitor of Jesus. All these people laid down something for the cause of Jesus Christ, and they didn't unite on what they had that were differences, but they united around the person of Christ, and they were able to accomplish great things for the cause of Christ, because of Christ, because uh, 
Christ was their focus and not on their differences. And so if you missed the message two weeks ago, I'd encourage you to go onto our app, our website, iTunes, YouTube, watch, listen to that message on Judas. I had a lot of feedback the last couple weeks, people who have uh, attempted suicide in the past, people who have lost loved ones to suicide. We dealt with suicide in that message and I'd really encourage you to listen if you're, if you're listening to this now. If you didn't listen to that message, it'll be very helpful. There's a lot of things we can learn from the life and even the death of Judas. And so I'd encourage you to look at that. Um, but today we're going to talk about uh, a disciple you've probably never heard a sermon on before. And so I, I, I want to talk for a minute about the, the, the most popular of the squad. How many of you, you were a part of a squad maybe in high school where you were the most popular and you've spent your entire life trying to go back to those days? Um, you were the most popular member of your squad. And when you look at uh, pop culture things today, like uh, television or movies, there are, there are people that are the most popular members of their squad. If you look at sports, there are most popular, most valuable members of teams. And so if you think about, for example, the Chicago Bulls, if you were to say, who's the greatest player who's ever played for the Chicago Bulls, everyone would say Scottie Pippen. And I'm kidding, uh, Michael Jordan, of course. And so if you were to say, you know, who it is, and so with the disciples, it's like clearly it's Peter, James, and John. These were, these were the top dogs in the group. Peter, James, and John were the inner three. They were the most popular of the group. And so, uh, but who was your most popular figure in things in pop culture? How many of you grew up watching The Brady Bunch? It's a fantastic show. If you've never seen it, it just never gets old. Um, and everybody's favorite character in The Brady Bunch was uh, Tiger the Dog. Clearly, uh, the most popular of The Brady Bunch. How many of you watched um, the show Family Matters? Uh, Carl Winslow, Steve Urkel, etc.? The most popular character on Family Matters was Judy Winslow, um, uh, the daughter who actually, they actually just made her disappear, uh, like, towards the end of the show, and she just didn't exist anymore. And so I, I bring this up because there are people who we just never think of when we think about those who are the most known people, and oftentimes there are people that are just simply background roles or people that are extras on the set that nobody ever recognizes, but they actually play a pretty big part. Any of you ever been an extra in a film, a movie before? Um, you're like, this is my big moment. I walked in the background of a news story. Uh, my wife had someone contact her this week, said, I'm on the news. And so we, we watched them on the news. Don't ever be on the news, by the way, because you might end up on one of the memes or you might end up on a YouTube video of, yeah, this could be bad uh, if you be on the news. Uh, so there's a figure like this uh, in the group of the disciples. There's actually several disciples that we don't know much about. One of them's names uh, was Philip. We don't know much about Philip. Another one was the good Judas, remember? There were two Judases. There was the bad Judas, the one that we know about. Poor good Judas. No one ever talks about him. The good Judas. Um, there was James the lesser. Not James, the brother of John, but literally James the lesser. That's, that's a sad title to possess, but no one knows much about James the Lesser. And today I want to talk about a disciple that we never talk about, and his name is Nathaniel. And Nathaniel, if you read through the Gospels and you read the book of Acts, you find out that he has two names. Sometimes he's referred to as Bartholomew, but most of the time, when in context, he is referred to as Nathaniel. And what we know about Nathaniel is that we don't know very much about Nathaniel. 
But there are a couple things we can gain from Scripture. One is for certain we know the town he was from. He was from Cana in Galilee. Now, if you know anything about the Gospels, the story of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, you know that Cana of Galilee is where there was a wedding feast where Jesus performed his first miracle where he turned water into wine. And so it's possible that this figure we don't know much about, Nathaniel, has some close relation to that wedding, and maybe that's why Jesus was at that wedding to begin with. We also know from John chapter 21, after the resurrection of Jesus, as Jesus restores Peter for denying Jesus three times, that with Peter there fishing at the lake is Nathanael. There, there is uh, James and John, Peter and Nathanael. There's a few other disciples. But what we can learn from that is it's possible that Nathanael also was a fisherman by trade. And after the resurrection of Jesus, went back to his trade with people like Peter. But besides that, we really don't know anything about this man with the exception of his calling, where Jesus calls Nathanael to follow him. And that's really what we've been looking a lot at in this passage, is the calling of the disciples to follow Jesus Christ. And so if you have a Bible, if you could turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is what we're going to be looking at today. If you have our app that's FC Online, the notes will be there for you in the app. If you're watching online, the notes should be on the screen. And if you're in-house, I'll have these on the screen behind me. So John chapter 1, verse 43 through 51, this is the calling of the disciple Nathaniel. So verse 43 says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Well, the next day after what? Uh, the next day after the calling of Peter and Andrew and James and John. The next day, he decides to go back to Galilee because that's where Peter, James, and John and Andrew were called, was on the Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus goes back to Galilee, and it says he found Philip. He found Philip, and he said to Philip, follow me. Jesus found Philip and asked him to follow him. Lots of, Jesus found Philip. And he found him, and this is just a profound statement in and of itself, is that Jesus finds you. It reminds me when Peter said to Jesus that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said to Peter, oh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. And so we could teach Jesus and preach Jesus and have you read the Bible all you want to do and all that we would love to see happen, but ultimately the Spirit has to reveal the person and lordship of Jesus to each and every one of us. And so Jesus finds Philip and asks Philip to follow him. It says, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. More connection. Andrew, Peter, they live in Bethsaida. This is where Philip is from. But pay close attention to verse 45. It says, Philip found Nathanael. So Jesus found Philip. Philip found Nathanael. This is not my quote. It's a quote that gets thrown around a lot within evangelical Christianity. But hold on to it tight because it's good. Found people find people. People who have been found by Jesus go and find people to point those people to Jesus. And so Jesus finds Philip. Philip finds Nathanael. And every time we read about Nathanael within the Gospels, Philip is named with him. 
They're not brothers because they're not from the same place, but they're very obviously at least friends. So Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law also in the prophets wrote. We, we found the Messiah, he's saying. We found the one we've been waiting for. We found the Savior of Israel. Jesus of Nazareth, it's him. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so as Philip finds Nathanael, he is making associations about the person of Jesus that Nathanael would have recognized. Hey, you know the town of Nazareth. That's where he's from. You know this, this carpenter, maybe this stonemason by the name of Joseph. It's his son. Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. So Nathanael's first words in the entire Bible. Nathanael's first words, as Philip says, I found the Messiah. I have found you, and I want you to come and be found by the Messiah. Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, some theologians think that this was possibly a popular phrase. It, it, we don't know. But he was basically saying, like, that's a hick town. That's a small town. It would be like us saying, can anything good come out of Staten? <laughs> some, some, some guys do, yeah. Can anything good come out of Dallas? Can anything good come out of Woodburn? Like, these are just smaller towns on the peripheral. Can anything good come out of Nazareth. And I love Philip's answer. Philip has the best answer that you could ever give to someone who asks you a ridiculous question like this. He just simply says, come and see. And it's fascinating because Philip answers the question exactly how Jesus would answer. Jesus never gives direct answers that we often want him to. And so Philip could have said, well, yes, good things do come out of Nazareth. In fact, I can go back in history to tell you about this great thing that came from Nazareth and how it got to us today, but that's not what Nathaniel needed. Nathaniel needed to taste and see that the Lord is good. Nathaniel needed to see for himself. Nathaniel needed to have an encounter himself with Jesus. And all Philip tells him after he finds him is just simply come and See, see if it's good. You come check it out for yourself because I've seen it's good and you're going to see that it's good for yourself, but just simply come and see. And a lot of you might have people in your life that don't know Jesus, that don't have a relationship with Jesus, that are not Christians, that are not following Christ, and you want so badly to take them from A to Z to try to explain why Jesus is the only way. But oftentimes, your friends and your family that you're doing this with and doing a great job witnessing to, they just need an invitation to come and see. Come and see. Watch my life. See what Jesus has done for me. Come worship with me. Come sit under the word as it's preached. And a lot of times, people will say, well, I would invite people to come and see. I'd invite them to come to church, but they're not really church kind of people. Exactly. Nobody is a church kind of person. We don't want church people. We want people to know Jesus. And so come and see. Come check it out. Come see what Jesus is all about. He just says come and see. Found people. Find people. And they invite them to come and experience Jesus for themselves. Verse 47. 
these three words are literally some of the most profound words in Scripture. It says in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to Nathanael, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. This is a very bizarre statement. Again, some theologians will look back and say, again, this is like maybe some sort of a popular phrase for that day that Jesus is using. We've got to dig a little bit deeper. I'll tell you what I think is going on here. I don't know for a fact, but it's, it's pretty likely. Uh, Israelites came from a man named Jacob. Um, Jacob was Abraham's grandson. Jacob wrestled with God. And after Jacob wrestled with God, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Basically, Israel, the name meaning wrestles with God. But the name Jacob actually means trickster. The name Jacob actually means deceiver. And and so there was always this trickery going on between Jacob and Esau, um, trying to see who would be born first, trying to see who would have the birthright, trying to trick his father, Isaac, And so when Jesus says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, it's kind of this ironic play on words. Israelites are known for being tricksters. But here is an Israelite who's not a trickster, who has no deceit. Jesus is being sarcastic. Jesus is joking with Nathanael. And essentially, he's giving this innuendo here about Nathaniel. This guy's real. This guy's raw. This guy's vulnerable. This guy's authentic. This is the real deal. This guy is a straight shooter. And behold, here he is. And look at what Nathaniel says in verse 48. Nathaniel says to Jesus, yes, Lord, I worship you. He actually says, how do you know me? How do you know me? You don't know anything about me. You don't know if I'm a trickster. You don't know if I'm true, authentic, real, honest, a liar, a deceiver. You don't know anything about me. I came along here with my friend Philip. He said to come and see. I'm coming. I'm seeing. And you're going to greet me with a joke. You don't know anything about me, Jesus. Verse 48. Jesus answered him. Before Philip called you, Remember, that's what Philip did. Come and see. Come with me. I found the Messiah. Before Philip called you, back when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Second time, this is implied. It said, Jesus saw Nathanael. Here, Jesus says specifically to Nathanael, I saw you. I see you, Nathanael. And again, we might brush over this verse and say, oh, he just saw him under a tree. No big deal. But it really cuts to the heart of Nathanael. Because Nathanael answered Jesus, Teacher, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Something significant happened under this fig tree. Do we know what it was? No. We don't. I had an interesting realization Uh, I was preparing this message three weeks ago, and I had an interesting realization I was preparing this message. Up until a couple of years ago, I always assumed 
that Nathaniel was doing something sinful under the fig tree. I always assumed he was doing something wrong, something nefarious, something he was hiding. And when Jesus said, hey, I saw you, what Jesus was saying was, I saw what you were doing. I know about you. I know how horrible of a person you are. But the more I've come to really know Jesus, I learned that that's not how Jesus is. If Nathaniel was doing something sinful under that fig tree, this is not how Jesus would have approached him. We know that because there's a woman at the well a couple of chapters later who is living in sin. And, and Jesus doesn't just come blast her with a rebuke. Instead, he enters into conversation and shows his care and his love and concern about her while still talking about her sin. Jesus never talks about Nathaniel's sin. And I realized that over the years, I had this very uh, God-is-out-to-punish-me view of Christ. And again, the more I've come to know him, it's more of a view of God wants to rescue me. And so I don't think Nathaniel was doing anything nefarious under the tree at all. But he had to have been doing something so specific that the moment that Jesus called it out, he immediately knew. Well, what happened in that moment? Well, the Father revealed it to him, first of all. And so I was trying to speculate. What, what was he doing under that tree? And I was reading some different commentary. What was he doing under the tree? Some people say he was praying. Some people say he had a vision. Some people say he was actually doing something kind for someone that no one noticed. I don't know what he was doing, but I know it was so significant that the moment Jesus called it out, it was so special and meaningful to him that he makes this faith, bold declaration. You're the son of God. It's so significant that he makes this declaration. You see, some people try to say that Nathaniel was the first to disbelieve Jesus. And that's garbage. Nathaniel was actually the first to really believe in him. Because he's the first one, the first human being to say, you are the Son of God. We always give credit to Peter years later in Matthew 16. But it was Nathaniel first who said, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, verse 50. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? And again, with the skewed view of Jesus, we could say, oh, Jesus is knocking him again, throwing lightning bolts his way, ticked off that he doubts. But that's not what's happening. Read it in fullness. Read it in context. He's saying, I revealed this amazing thing to you. Something special that only you and I would ever know. And, and do you believe? And, and Nathaniel, I, I'm sure he doubt, he, he's shaking and said, yes, I, I do believe. Because in verse 50, Jesus then says, you'll see greater things than these. Hey, Nathaniel, remember when I pointed out that special private moment you were having under the fig tree? Remember when we connected over that, remember when you made that faith declaration just a moment ago? You ain't seen nothing yet. You, you've seen nothing. All you have seen is this, this word of wisdom, 
this word of prophecy, this word of knowledge under the tree. But you're going to see much greater things than this. He said to him in verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is actually a connection to the first part of the story where Jesus says, Oh, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Israelites were descendants of the original Israel whose name was Jacob. And Jacob had a vision, a dream, where he was sleeping with his head on a rock. And there was angels ascending and descending to heaven on a ladder. And essentially, what Jesus is saying is the first Israelite saw that, you're going to see that too. You're going to see great and mighty and marvelous and wonderful things. This is almost a reward. If you believe me for this, wait until I show you all I have prepared for you. This is a reward. This is not a knock. This is a foreshadowing of things to come. And we might have to stop and ask ourselves, well, what, what did he see? Like, when did this come into fulfillment? Because he wasn't at the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus' glory was revealed as he was transformed in front of Peter, James, and John's eyes. But we do know that Nathaniel saw him, Jesus Christ himself, ascend to the Father in heaven. We do know that Nathaniel himself received the first outpouring and filling of the Holy Spirit. We do know that Nathaniel died. In fact, Nathaniel, he's so obscure. He's the only one of the disciples that legend and church history does not teach very clearly what actually happened to the guy when he died. There's a lot of stories about his death. But here's what I know, is that right now, Nathaniel is in the very presence of Jesus who saw him under the fig tree and called him to follow him. And right now, Nathaniel is having this very prophetic word that Jesus spoke to him 2,000 years ago. He is living it this second as he is seen and being in the glory of God. So besides Nathaniel showing up on a couple of roster lists, we know next to nothing about him from this point on. He seems so insignificant. There's no great accounts written of Nathaniel. There's no book of Nathaniel. Again, we know Peter, man, he was crucified upside down. John was boiled alive sent off to exile in the island of Patmos. He died at over 100 years old. We know nothing about Nathaniel. If Nathaniel had a tombstone, it would almost just be worn off where you couldn't even see the name. We don't know anything about him. He seems so insignificant. And even though he's likely sarcastic, he doesn't have an enormous amount of optimism. Remember the question he asked, can anything good come out of Nazareth? But here's what we need to see. The guy had enough optimism to go and see. The guy had enough optimism to catch the attention and the accolades of Jesus Christ. The guy had enough optimism and he had enough of a sense of humor to spur on a joke from Jesus. Oh, look, an Israelite of whom there's no deceit. There, there's joking, jovial conversation, sarcasm going on between Jesus and Nathaniel. How many of you would love to have a sarcastic conversation with Jesus? But it seems as though Nathaniel almost believes he's not noticeable. It seems like he feels that he's not 
known. It almost appears that Nathaniel thinks he's insignificant, that he's less than Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because I'm not on the radar of anybody. It almost seems that Nathaniel thinks that he's less than the son of a dead carpenter from a small town. How do you know me? There's nothing to know about me. There's nothing special about me. There's nothing unique about me. There is nothing radical about my life. Oh, I saw you under the fig tree, Nathaniel. See, Jesus didn't only know Nathaniel, but he saw him. Three times in that short passage we read, it records that Jesus saw Nathaniel. Try and find another disciple where it says Jesus saw them three times in about 10 verses. It's not there. Three throughout Scripture is typically a number of completion. I saw you. I saw you. I saw you. I see you completely. You see, Jesus sees Nathaniel. He knows Nathaniel. He sees whatever deeply personal thing he was doing under that tree. And Jesus lets him know just that. Nathaniel, you're seen. You're known. You're actually a funny guy, Nathaniel. You're likable. You have more optimism than you think. You have faith that catches my eye. Nathaniel, you just had the greatest truth of all time revealed to you first. Nathaniel, you get to experience so much more than this. Nathaniel, you're wanted. Nathaniel, you're invited to come with me and see what I have in store. And we've said this every week during this series. Jesus never said, follow me, and I will give you the three-year plan of what we're about to do. All he said was, follow me. Come and see. Come on, just follow. Are you up for anything? Because that's where we're going. I'm up for anything. Come with me. You'll see. Those who seem insignificant, those who feel they're insignificant, are significant, are seen, are loved. And those who feel and seem insignificant are desired by God. Look at Psalms 8. The psalmist here, David, writes, What is man? that you are mindful of him? What is the son of a man that you care for him? What David is saying, the tiniest pinpoint on a tiny planet among a vast solar system swirling around a medium-sized star among billions of stars amongst billions of galaxies in the endless space of the universe matters to the God who created it. Somehow God is thinking about you. God cares for you. God chose you, Ephesians 1 says, before the foundations of the earth. In the tiniest pinpoint on this tiny blue planet, in the vastness of the universe, is loved so much that his creator, her creator, would actually die for him. 
That is the relationship that God desires of us. And when you think about these things, you think of yourself like Nathaniel. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I'm insignificant. I've only got 10 followers on Twitter. Nobody knows about me. But see, God doesn't see you for how you see yourself. God sees you as only your creator could see you. And God speaks to the potential that he has destined you for. I I debated saying this. I debated saying God sees you as you will be. But I'm not sure if that's entirely true. He does. He he is going to see you for who you are. I get that. He's all-knowing. But but I think it's more theologically accurate to say that God speaks to the potential he's made you for. Because even though God destines us for things, we still have to choose things. Well, pastor, is that a divine paradox? Yeah, it is. I don't know how that works. But I do know that God speaks to who he created you to be. We just have to have ears to hear what he has to say. And Nathaniel is so similar to another story that happened about 1,200 years before. The story of Gideon. I just want to look at one passage as we start to wrap this up from the book of Gideon. I mean, from the book of Judges about the man Gideon. I want you to listen to this passage, uh, Judges 6. We'll read 11 and 12 and then 14 through 16. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So the angel of the Lord, oftentimes associated with the Lord himself in the Old Testament, just as Jesus finds Philip and Jesus calls Nathanael here, God sees and finds Gideon, and here the angel of the Lord is the one under the tree. Nathanael was the one under the tree in the Gospels. Here, God, or the angel of God, is the one under the tree and judges and sees Gideon from under the tree while Gideon is afraid and hiding and trying to meek out, eke out a meager living because he doesn't want the Midianites to steal his stuff. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Literally while he's afraid. Literally while he's hiding. You're a mighty man of valor. My wife and I have this exercise bike, and, and there's this, this digital trainer, and he always speaks to me, and he says, you can do it, athlete. I'm like, dude, I'm not an athlete. But if God can call Gideon a mighty man of valor, I'm in all the way. God calls you for what you're able to do. He speaks to your potential. And so he's saying here to Gideon, come on, athlete. You're a mighty man of valor. Get up out of that wine press. So Gideon expresses doubt. He's angry with God. Just like Nathaniel. Can anything good come out here? You, you don't even know me. You don't know who I am. So the Lord, see the Lord, it doesn't say the angel of the Lord. The Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Gideon, I see you for who I made you to be. Go in this might of yours. Gideon's like, I have no might. I'm not a mighty man of valor. I'm not a warrior. I'm not an athlete. But he says, go. 
This is who I'm speaking into you. This is who I'm desiring you to be. Gideon, I speak to your potential, not your present and not your past. So many of you are so caught up in your past that you don't ever allow yourself to move forward because you're afraid of your past where God's got a future for you. And in fact, God doesn't just have a future for you. God's got a now for you that he wants you to be in and acting in right this moment. And so quit obsessing over your past because God's not obsessed with it. Just like Nathaniel, God tells Gideon, oh, you're going to see greater things than this. You're going to see greater things in this winepress. You're going to be a warrior. And so Gideon said to God, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Can anything good come out of Manasseh, God? Aren't I the the weakest son of the weakest father of the weakest clan in all of Israel? You don't even know me. I'm a nobody. I'm insignificant. I'm not noticeable. In fact, I'm a joke. Look at me hiding. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. I'll be with you. You don't need to be afraid. I'll be with you. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't need to fear evil because I will be with you. And you're going to strike the Midianites down as one man. You're going to see amazing things. Come and see. Come and see, Gideon. I'm with you. Here's the most important point for today. The key to recognizing your significance. The key to recognizing your significance and to get your eyes off of your perceived insignificance is to stay focused on the significance of Christ. How do I not feel insignificant? Don't focus on that. Focus on how significant Christ is. And notice I didn't say focus on how significant you are because then you're just an arrogant jerk. Look how significant I am. No, you're not. Focus on how significant God is. Stay focused on the significance of Christ, his power, his might, his strength, his call on your life, his love, his care for you. And then stay with him. He promised to be with Gideon. Gideon just had to choose to go and see. And so when Philip told Nathanael, come and see, he went and he saw, and Jesus basically says, come and see, come follow. And Nathanael, he just had to continually choose every single day to come and see Jesus. And for three years, that's what he did. He came, he saw. He came, he saw. He came, he saw. He believed, he followed. He came, he saw. He believed, he followed from the next step to the next step to the next step, so many of you are focused about such big, important questions. And I obsess over questions more than anybody I know. I know what it's like. But Jesus is not concerned with you finding the answers to your biggest questions. He's just concerned with you taking the next step, the next step, the next step. Well, Jesus, if I go with you, what if? Jesus is like, hey, Tomorrow's got enough worry for itself. I'll take care of you today. Stay with me today. Choose every day. Come and see. So what did Jesus do when Nathaniel followed? Well, Jesus never left him. Jesus never forsook him. It's hard to be 
insignificant when you're with Jesus. It's hard to be insignificant when you're with Jesus. It's hard to feel insignificant when you're with Jesus. And I understand that is an oxymoronic comment because it's like, I feel so insignificant next to him. But when you walk into a room with Jesus, you're feeling pretty significant. Look who I'm with. Look who's with me today. And friends, if you'd put your faith and trust in Jesus, and and if we collectively together could stop obsessing about things that aren't the thing, and start obsessing about him, start focusing on how significant he is, you're going to start feeling much less insignificant. I know some of you didn't always have the best relationship with your mother or your father. But for those of you who did have somewhat of a good relationship with your father or your mother, when they walked you into school, like, you felt like nothing could take you down. My dad's for me. No one could be against me. If my mom has my back, no one can be against me. Oh, wait until my teacher talks to mom. Wait until my friends who are bullying me talk to my dad. I don't feel so insignificant when I've got this guy two times taller and eight times stronger walking next to me. So when you walk into a room, when you walk into that job Monday morning, when you log into that Zoom class, I'm sorry, tomorrow, he's with you. He's with you. You don't have to feel insignificant because the God of all creation shows you, sees you, knows you, called you, and he's with you. hard to feel insignificant with Christ. See, like Nathaniel, God sees you, he knows you, he calls you, and he'll use you in greater ways to accomplish his will than you could ever imagine. One more verse, and we'll close in prayer. Jeremiah 1, going back, prophetic books of the Old Testament. This is God speaking to the prophet Jeremiah as he is being called. God called prophets and God called disciples. As he's calling the prophet Jeremiah, God tells him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Think about that. Think about the beauty of conception and pregnancy and life. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Literally, God's telling Jeremiah, like, oh, I see you, Jeremiah, and I saw you when you were two cells. I saw you as I was forming you in the womb. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I called you to great things, Jeremiah, before you were ever even born. And I appointed you to be the prophet to the nations. But God, I was just a two-celled strand of human DNA. Yeah, I I know. I was forming you. I I had you on my mind for all eternity, and and I actually gave you a mission. Jeremiah says, I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I can't talk. I'm just young. I'm too young. I'm a teenager. I'm, I'm just a youth. But then God said to me, Do not say I am only a youth. For to all whom I send you, 
you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of whoever I send you to, Jeremiah. I don't care if you're one day old in the womb or if you're one year old or if you're a 16-year-old kid that I'm calling right now. It doesn't matter to me. What I tell you to do, you're going to do. You don't need to be afraid because I am, what is it? With you. I'm with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. You're not insignificant, Jeremiah. Regardless of who you think you are, regardless of how young you think you are, even if you're just a youth, even if you're just the weakest member of the clan, God sees you, knows you before you were born, and invites you to come and see who he is and has great things in store for you. God is for you. And it's hard to be insignificant when God's for you. It's hard to be insignificant when God's with you. So you might seem insignificant. Nathaniel seemed insignificant. You may feel insignificant. He felt insignificant, but he was with Jesus, and he still is. He came, he saw, he believed, he followed. And he made the team. Even though he might have not been the most valuable player, Jesus still picked him. He made the squad. So you say, well, I thought this series was about laying down something for the cause of Christ. What did Nathaniel lay down? What did he have to get over to follow Jesus? Well, I hope you've caught on by now. It's insignificance. He laid down his insignificance to follow Jesus, to become something in Christ that was very significant. And he's seen some pretty great he even made the Bible. Did you notice? Like, his name's in the Bible. That's a pretty big deal. I don't care if you're Peter or if you are Methuselah. If your name's in the Bible, like, that's pretty impressive. His name's in the book. Church, you matter. You matter to God. You matter to him. You're more significant than you think. You're so significant that God would send his son to die for you. You're so significant that God would forgive you of your sins. You're so significant that God would fill you with his spirit. You're so significant that he would give you everlasting life just so he can be with you more. That's how much you matter. So you bow your heads as we get ready to pray, and Casey's going to come up and lead us in a song, and we'll dismiss you here in a second. Put your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just so there's no distraction. Put your phone away for a second. What does God want for you today? Some of you have this attitude of God that it's, what does God want from me? Rephrase that. What does God want for you today? What does he have in store for you today? Sure, God wants us to lay down everything to follow him. He wants stuff from us. Yeah, I get it. But if that's our focus, we'll miss out on what he has for us. What does he have for you in store for you? I want you to imagine yourself in the position of Nathaniel. 
your friend Philip says, I found the Messiah. He's from Brooks. Like, what? No, it's just a small town. Oh, yeah, he's, he's the, the son of the guy who runs the plumbing warehouse. Well, that doesn't make sense. No, nothing good can come out of there. And Philip says, just come and see. Come and see. And so you're a little optimistic. You've got, you've got a little bit of hope, a little bit of faith. And so you go and you follow your friend Philip. He, he went all this way to find you. And there's Jesus. And Jesus makes this strange, funny, sarcastic comment to you. Like, oh, behold. Somebody in whom there's no deceit. You're, you're pretty real. So real, you just questioned if something good can come out of Nazareth. And here I am. And you look at Jesus and you say to him, because ultimately we all have said this to Jesus at one point, whether we even believe in him or not, we've asked the question, how do you even know me? How do you know me, Jesus? How do you, I, I, I'm nobody, insignificant. And Jesus looks at you and he says, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. I see you, I saw you, I know you. You matter. I'm calling you. You're, you're going you're gonna to see great things. And I was thinking about this because it was kind of hard to imagine, but if you could imagine for a minute, what's your fig tree? What is it? Where was, where was that intimate, special moment between you and God? Or maybe it was a time where you were calling out for God to give you a sign. You were calling out for God in desperation. When was that? What was it? Maybe you were crying out for the life of your child. Maybe you were crying out for companionship. Maybe you were crying out for the birth of a child. Maybe you were crying out for an illness that you had just been diagnosed with. What was, where was your fig tree? Maybe your fig tree was your darkest moment. I was talking with a friend of mine who went through over a year of a complete mental breakdown. And I asked the friend, like, how do you see that now? And she said, as a gift. See it as a gift. Because God saw me in it. She actually said, I needed to go through that. She knows God didn't cause it. But I needed to it was a reboot that I needed. And here I am. So I'm thankful. Maybe for you, a fig tree was actually, man, it was a dark season in your life. And it's not a dark season where Jesus looks at you and said, I saw what led you there. I saw all the decisions. Your stupid fault for being there. You should have known better. Should have just believed in me more. Should have prayed more. Should have had more faith. One of the darkest points of my life. A lot of people ask that, like, were you reading the Bible? Were you praying enough? No, I just decided to not. Stupid questions, by the way. Don't ever ask someone a dumb question like that. That's not how Jesus talks. And so those dark times, maybe it's the darkest time of your life. What God has for you today, what God has in store for you is he wants you to know, hey, I saw I saw your hurt. 
I saw your pain. I saw what you went through. I can sympathize with it. I was betrayed. I was beaten. I was crucified, tempted in every way. I know what it's like. And Jesus doesn't leave us under fig trees unless we choose to stay there. Calls us out from under. Calls us out of the wine press. Calls us out of our insignificance, our youth, our feelings of utter insecurity. Calls us out of being obsessed about our past. And he's, he's with you now. But as you recognize Jesus is with you now, recognize for a moment that he was with you under the fig tree. He was with you in the dark times, and he's with you today. And he's just saying, hey, guys, just come and see. Just put your faith in me. Just just one more day. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. So, God, wherever our fig tree is, may we come out. Be aware that you see us, that, that we matter to you. Some of your parents didn't pick up on how special you were. Didn't pick up on the gifts and the talents that God gave you. Some of your parents wanted you to be something that God didn't make you to be. God was there. He said, I saw. I saw. I didn't just see it. I created you for that. And and I, I see it. I'm calling you out. I'm calling you to something better. You may have not been seen by your parents. You may have not been seen by your spouse. You may have not been seen by your own children. But God sees you and you matter. Trust him. Follow him. Leave that tree. Go see what he's got in store. So God, I pray in Jesus' name to give us faith to step out, to follow, to no longer obsess about the past, to move day by day with you. God, I'm excited and optimistic about the future and the promises you have, but God, I want to appreciate today even more. There's somebody here today who's never surrendered their life to you, never put faith in you. I ask in the name of Jesus that they would surrender their trust, their life to you, Jesus. Your word says that you loved us so much that you gave your son that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. Believe in the name of Jesus and be saved. Put faith in the name of Jesus and be saved. Follow him. He's with you. It's so hard to be insignificant when you're with Christ. God, we we bless these words spoken. We ask you to make them real, to take root, and to change lives. In Jesus' name, amen. But now I'm found Was blind but now I see Hallelujah Christ is risen from the grave Hallelujah Christ is risen from the grave 
prodigal is welcomed home, the sinner now the same. For the God who died came back to life, everything has changed. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, fear, where is your power? The mighty King of kings has disarmed you, delivered and redeemed eternal. Christ is risen from the grave. 
word. Um, I know for sure my fig tree was moving here about a year ago. Um, we lived in California. Um, and I did decorated sugar cookies as a business. I did go to church. I did go to Bible college. I have an associate's degree in it. But um, I felt like my worth was in my baking, and that's not true. Um, you can even ask Pastor Anthony. I still have that mentality by my works that I do here that I try to get my worth from, you know, from cleaning or serving. And it, that's not what it is. Our worth is not in what we do. Our worth is in Jesus Christ. And I just hope and pray that each and every one of you find your worth in him. Um, have a great week. Have a great night. Drive safe. We love you guys. And we have a gift um, for you guys as you walk out through our double doors. <laughs>